0: Counting is on us. <laughs> uh, so Sam, where are we right now?
1: We are at the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Airport, aka the airport in Montreal. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are we in the airport? We are flying to one uh, windy city.
0: Yeah, uh, Chicago, in particular. That correct. windy city. Correct. Uh, for the Jewish Voice for Peace national members meeting, uh, that we're going to have an episode on very shortly. Uh, but we should, yeah, we should just tell people why, what, why, why we're talking about them. Do you know what music is playing in the background? I don't know what this is. Sorry, by Justin Bieber. Is that a very relevant song for you? No, 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 but it just, I, it's catchy. Um, but yeah, why are we talking to people right now?
1: We are talking right now because we are about to introduce an episode that was already aired this week on Canada Land, which is a pretty big podcast in Canada. Uh, it's a politics, current affairs, basically media criticism, and kind of the central player in Canada Land, Jesse Brown, reached out to us to talk about... Uh, the Jewish media in Canada. So that's what we did. And the episode went up, I think, Monday or Tuesday, David? Yeah. And it was it was a conversation between us and uh, the editor of the Canadian Jewish News, Yanni Goldstein.
0: Yeah, we are talking about the media landscape of the Jewish community in Canada. And obviously, we talked about a lot of political things as well. And we just thought it would be nice to share it here on our feed as well. And if you like what you hear, you can also subscribe to CanadaLand. They have their own feed. Um, but I think that's it. Uh, we'll be back in about a week with another episode. But until then, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Sei
2: So I'm a Jew. That's not a secret. It's come up a bunch of times. But the truth is, I don't delve into it too deeply here. How come? Well, look, I don't imagine that it's terribly interesting to anyone else. And I don't think it gives me, you know, any special status from which to discuss the stuff that we talk about on this show. I mostly consider it, you know, kind of a personal and private thing. The reasons why I consider myself a Jew are, like my own selective points of identification with Jewish history and family and ethics and like food and comedy, and mostly just a connection with the long Jewish history of being a pain in the ass and asking annoying questions. For other Jews, it is totally different. It's more of a spiritual thing. For others, it's political, whatever. As far as I'm concerned, that is each Jews own business. Jews, your own adventure, yid and let yid. And look, to be perfectly honest, there is another reason why I don't get into it too much. It's kind of like how no hipster likes to say that they're a hipster, even though they kind of know that they are one. Like, I don't want to slap a label on myself. I don't want to advertise that as like the big important thing that you need to know about me. I don't want to have endless, pointless arguments about Israel, a topic where my opinion is about as worthless as everybody else's who ultimately has no idea how to solve that whole mess. I just didn't want to deal with any of that. And for a long time, I didn't have to. Yid and let yid. But now something's changed. The other week, I was told that I don't get to choose if I'm a Jew or not. I was told that because I said on an old episode of this show that I'm troubled by the occupation, troubled by the fact that Israel is oppressing Palestinians, and I just think that's a fact at this point, because I said those things, I am not a real Jew, I was told. I'm as Jewish as a ham sandwich, apparently, because of my comments on this show, And because it was speculated, I'm not observant enough, not religious enough in my personal life. Yes, it was Ezra Levant who said those things. And no, this is not an episode about Ezra Levant. So as that was happening, as I was getting attacked in public for not being Jewish enough, I was also being attacked in public for being a Jew in the most base and classic way. Cartoons, epithets, bigots, bigotry. Straight up anti-Semitism. It's back, and I now enjoy a steady trickle of straight-up Jew hate in my mentions. Not like every day, but every week, more or less, somebody says something. Now, all of this Jewish stuff around me is is happening in public, in the media, on social media. It's not happening in the Jewish media— there isn't much of one left. I mean, there used to be tons of Jewish public forums, daily newspapers, Yiddish newspapers, communist newspapers, Bundist, Zionist, conservative, Yiddish radio. It's almost all gone. It's actually the focus of a piece we've just posted by freelancer Alex Verman on our website. There were just endless forms of Jewish media. And, you know, almost all of it is now gone as more and more Jews like me choose to live their public lives outside of the ethnic press. Where we think that we can still be Jewish the way we want to, ...without having to talk about it. But maybe we can't. And I don't know, maybe we shouldn't. So, okay. Today I'm joined by a few Jews... ...who are far more comfortable than I am... ...with being Jewish in public. One is the editor of Canada's last... ...surviving national Jewish newspaper... ...the Canadian Jewish News... ...arguably a somewhat conservative newspaper... ...and the other two are the hosts... ...of a Montreal-based podcast called Trafe, ...which means the opposite of kosher... ...like ham sandwich... That's Trafe. That, obviously, is a far more left-leaning Jewish forum. They will all introduce themselves in a moment. Things will get messy. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Ray Wang, Brendan Spearin, Martin Scherer, Eric Dennehy, Allison, Jen Stratmeyer, Allison Sullivan, and Jay Taylor. Jay, why did you decide to be awesome?
1: Because you play an important role in Canadian media criticism and journalism about journalism makes for interesting radio.
2: This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by CAMH One Brave Night, a Canada-wide challenge happening now until April 7th to raise funds for people living with mental illness and addiction. One of the people involved is Andrew from Team Intellects. I asked him why this challenge is so important. Awareness, just getting the
3: word out and getting people to talk about it, because I think that's the first part. In dealing with mental health, it's just getting people to talk.
2: People together, we can redefine what normal is, and we can show those affected that it is okay to speak out about how they're feeling and seek help. Please join me and sign up for the CAMH One Brave Night Challenge now by visiting onebravenight.ca/CanadaLand. That's onebravenight and dot G C-A, H T .ca/CanadaLand. Have a look now. And this episode is brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks. TikTok people, come on, it's tax season, get on it. Check out FreshBooks, have a look, play around with this thing, see how easy it is. You can get your affairs in order. Your invoicing, your time tracking, your expense receipt filing, everything is quick and easy. You will get paid quicker because your invoices look better. Yes, that does work. And you'll also get paid quicker if you decide to accept credit card payments. You can get back to doing the thing that you want to do. It is like an accounting department for your freelance practice or your small business that might not be able to afford its own accounting department. And that describes this organization to a T, which is why we use FreshBooks. I have been using it since before they were a sponsor. It has just gotten better and better Try it out for free. Check it out. No credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash land. Give it a whirl. If you do decide to become a customer after your 30-day free trial, tell them who sent you. You'll be doing the show a favor. Thank you, FreshBooks.
3: Hey, uh, I'm Yoni Goldstein. I'm the editor of the Canadian Jewish News.
1: I'm Sam
0: Bick. I am a Montrealer, and I'm also the co-host of TRAFE Podcast. And I'm David Zinman. I'm the other host of the TRAFE Podcast. Welcome, everybody.
2: Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is going to be awkward, I think. This is going to be like an anxious, awkward conversation. And I'm not playing into Jewish stereotypes of neurotic Jews. But Jews talking about Jews in the media, I feel like, is a anxious topic. Is that just me?
0: I think that's fair. <laughs> I think I sympathize.
3: No, I don't. I don't at all, actually. I, I mean, I, I'm not sure where we're going today, but yeah, I'm I'm actually not nervous about this at all.
2: <laughs> right on. Well, full steam ahead then. I think we first have to just regard the, uh, you know, uh, elephant in the room. Like you talk about Jews in the media and we have different things that we want to talk about and that you're – respective publications and platforms concern themselves with the Jewish representation and what is... I'm concerned with what's left in the Jewish press and there's a history there, how it plays into the larger discourse. But come on, for our audience today, you say the words Jews in the media and that does conjure up certain concepts. And I'm going to specifically reference this. We're just, we're just going to have to deal with this before we go further. This is an email that'll help us do so that I received after some recent stuff that even just approached this on Canada Land. So I won't say who this is from. He didn't ask me to withhold his name, but okay. Hello, Jesse. I was debating about writing you because there's no way of tackling the subject I'm about to address without looking like a hater slash nutter slash racist. But I am not. And I feel you are an understanding guy. So I figured I'd take a chance and write you. So here goes. In episode 111, I believe you scoffed at the notion that Jews control the media. But here's the thing. They do. I don't subscribe to some massive Jewish conspiracy. That's for the nutters and the racists. But surely you, Jesse Brown, must concede the overrepresentation of Jews in the media. Let's look at the podcast, for example. This American Life, Planet Money, Radiolab, Canada Land, The of Serial, Heavyweight, etc. I could go on, but I think you get the idea. Hells. Even the newly released Missing Richard Simmons is from your tribe. And it's one of the most downloaded podcasts right now. And you, Jesse Brown, are even guilty of pumping up the Jewish media by having your Jewish buddy come on your show to shill his own podcast. I don't recall you doing that for anyone else, except maybe Shad. But hey, it's your show and you can do what you want, just like the old white male guard can do what they want with their media empire and that you seem to loathe. But I digress. Look, I have nothing against the Jewish people. Hells, the podcasts are great. And who doesn't love a good bagel? It's spelled B-A-G-G-L-E. Um but, but seriously, you do your listeners a disservice when you try to imply that there is no overconcentration of Jews in the media. All I ask is that, that it be duly noted. Cheers and thanks for reading. Before we laugh at that, it's, it's easy to mock, but I feel like from an outsider's perspective, to look at the media, you have to recognize it must seem strange to people that there are a lot of Jewish people in the media. The connections that they draw and the conclusions they jump to is another story. But do we, do we recognize that, that is, it's not obvious to people why that is so? And it does feel like people aren't able to talk about that.
3: I mean, look, I, go back to the beginning of the email. The guy's saying he's not a nutter or a hater or a racist. But I mean... This is what people in American politics say right now. I'm not a racist. I'm just, you know, I'm just worried about the concentration of this type of race or that type of race in this sort of environment or that sort of environment. So, you know, I'm not buying that to begin with. I also don't really think there is a huge overconcentration of Jews in the media. I mean, maybe on the podcast that this reader of yours lists. But, I mean, I watch the news every night. I listen to the radio. I don't hear too many more Jews than other people. Okay, that's Yoni from Canadian Jewish News.
1: Trafe hosts, what do you think? Hey, Jesse, it's Sam here. Um, I think there's two big issues that we could start by talking about here. And the first one is the question of what group we're talking about. So this this particular writer talks about Jews as one monolith. Mm -hmm. I think we're probably talking about white Jewish men principally. And this is one of the things that we try to do on the show is try to disentangle the kind of popular conception of Jew as like a Larry David caricature. So I think first of all we're talking about white European descended Jews to begin with, and I think to add to that there's the question of like overrepresentation of white men in media, which is not particularly surprising. And then the other point that is relevant to add to this discussion is the difference between representation and control. And I don't think I don't think anyone would not would deny that there's overrepresentation to a certain extent, but That is tied to historical, social, political factors that I'm not equipped to kind of bring to the table here. But I think there's a bigger discussion about why certain migrant groups in North America over the last 150 years have ended up in certain positions as opposed to other ones.
0: And at the same time, I don't think we would say there's an overrepresentation of Mizrahi Jews, for example, in American media right now. I think that the fact that all the people listed were white people has a lot more to do with their overrepresentation in media spaces.
3: But you know what? People said 70 years ago, how come all the Jews are bankers, right? And and they were right. Why 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 are there so many Jews in banking in the finance industry? Well, there is actually a very good historical reason mm-hmm. for it because they couldn't do anything else. They weren't they weren't allowed to own land. They weren't allowed to have businesses. And gentiles weren't allowed to lend money. Usury so, was forbidden right. by so, the church. So, so so the Jews naturally turned there. I'm sure if if somebody looked close enough, there is a an historical reason for why so many Jews ended up in the media. Why am I in the media? I wasn't smart enough to be a lawyer.
2: Okay, I think the crucial point here is that my listener there in that email completely conflates. Jews with the Jews. Correct. And this idea that the Jews control the media versus what I think has to be conceded, and, I, and I, I do think it's beyond just that there's an overconcentration of white men in any kind of dominant or or you know, especially in conversation in the culture, I would give them the point that there are a lot of a certain kind of Jew that, that are in podcasting, in public radio, in the media. I just think that that's true where that gets laughed at i think internally amongst jews is that we know that there is far from there being a monolith or even like some controlling conspiracy nobody agrees on anything and it's like a point of humor that you know two jews three opinions and we're so radically diverse on so many subjects and the idea that we're actually controlling things or or like pulling the strings or there's some secret conference where we make up the agenda is laughable but this is what takes us to what i really want to talk with you about today which is that for all of that grand diversity of Jewish political and ideological thought that that we self-identify, is that really represented in the Jewish press anymore?
3: Well, I guess maybe I'll go first as the editor of the (laughs) largest Jewish press in Canada and really, you know, the, the only national one that's left.
2: We can also say the last because it didn't used to be that way.
3: And and we almost didn't exist. I mean, three years ago, the paper came close to shutting down. That was before I arrived. But we were close to having basically no national Jewish press in this country. And now we're back to having at least one robust one and a couple. You know, there's one in Hamilton. There's another one in Winnipeg. But these are small local papers. But your point about diversity of opinion, I mean, I hear that question a lot also from the the Trafe guys who are on with us right now. We've talked about this on their podcast as well. You know, I think we have a a pretty good range in the CJN of opinions. We've got people from as far left as uh, advocating for at least a partial boycott and divestment and sanctions against Israel to people who, who will say that, you know, the problems that Israel experiences uh, are effectively only the fault of the Palestinians, you know, so uh, we, we, we basically run the gamut. Now, people are constantly angry at us and say, we're, we're not being fair, and we're not giving a voice to everybody in the community. And that's true. We have, our, we have our lines that we don't cross, and I'm okay with that. But I think those lines really extend almost to the edges, to the fringes of both the right and the
2: left. I mean, there's a lot on the shoulders of your publication because the tradition of the Jewish press, I mean, you go back and there used to be like many competing newspapers and you're what's left. And so I could see people wanting you to be everything to every Jew, but the reality is you're something to a very specific group of Jews, like 83% of your readership is over 50 years old. Is that, is that it?
3: Yeah. Well, online, it's different. Online where we're growing monthly by, you know, by the tens of thousands of views, our age range skews much younger, obviously. But yeah, in print, we're talking about 55 to 75. Yeah. Okay. Guys in Montreal, like you guys exist, as I
2: understand it, to, to a certain degree to fill in a hole to, to represent things that are not being represented by CJN and, and elsewhere. What, what do you think about this question?
0: I think I want to give Yoni some credit because since he you know did come on board in the paper, I know they, he has put a lot of effort into including more voices in the paper that wouldn't have been there before. But I I do also want to say that I don't think it represents anything close to the full spectrum of the Jewish community in terms of political perspectives or otherwise, but I also don't think that that's his or their job. I understand that they have a particular outlook and particular political lines that they want to keep firm, and that's fine. So what we're trying to do is to represent the left of the Jewish community that is not welcome into their paper. And this is groups like Independent Jewish Voices in Canada, anyone who's articulating Any alternatives to Zionism. Those are the kind of perspectives that we want to highlight in our show coming from an anti colonial leftist perspective.
1: And I would like to add that um, Outlook magazine just closed and it was a really important source of leftist Jewish politics in Canada. I think the question of, I mean, obviously, Jesse, you deal with this all the time, but the dwindling media industry or like the dwindling print industry. But I think also the question is one of like the Jewish left. And because the Jewish left has really been a source of alternative media, alternative culture, alternative ideas. The fact that the Jewish left is kind of on the wane to a certain extent, or has been, is also kind of one of the causes of why we have a less diversified press.
2: This is really interesting, and it speaks larger than media questions. You talk about the Jewish left, and you talk about alternatives to Zionism. This is where it gets really anxious, because I feel like when you go to the under fifty crowd, who don't have a newspaper, who you're trying to appeal to with Trafe like the idea of even designating oneself, I am in the Jewish left, or even more so, I'm looking for alternatives to Zionism. I mean, I think that that basically creates this anxiety amongst Jews where the people who are most... Ready to stand up and say, I'm a Jew, I'm speaking in a Jewish newspaper, I'm speaking from a Jewish perspective, are the over 50 crowds who are hawkish and conservative on on issues of Israel. Mm -hmm. Then you get into everybody else who I think have sympathies towards looking at things differently and maybe are looking for alternative forms of Zionism, alternative forms like what actually is good for Israel. What actually does it mean to support Israel? Does that mean I have to support occupation? And it's just so radioactive and loaded because, on the one hand, there's this hawkish thing that you don't want to associate with. And on the other hand, there's this idea that you're going to be a radical activist who is betraying the state of Israel, that you're going to be a, like a shame to your grandparents, your family in Israel. Uh, maybe I'm universalizing some of my own anxieties <laughs> here.
1: It, but it does feel like the end result of that is that a lot of people are silent. Sam here. Just to quickly respond, I think there's a growing community across North America of young Jews who are building different spaces. And we are just one manifestation of that. And this question of the media is tied into the fact that, I mean, the term we use on the show is institutional Jewish community. And I'm sure a lot of different communities across North America could relate in terms of like an institutional structure. They're not representative, but we are building alternatives. And, and I think people feel more and more comfortable to hold clear anti-colonial positions, whether it's in Canada or whether it's in Palestine. And it's becoming a much easier thing to do. Like it's still difficult and there's still debates and, and discussions with family and friends. But I think that the tide is really changing.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the United States, groups like Jewish Voice for Peace, they have, in terms of their supporter members, it's at a scale that's almost half of all Jews in Canada. And right now you have If Not Now is a new movement that's growing. I I think that things are definitely building again on the Jewish left in a way that is not centering Zionism as it once has. And
1: Sam here again, just to add to that, it's not just about uh, Israel and Palestine. I think it's a question of like, Jews who are involved or support Black Lives Matter, Jews who are involved or support different struggles for indigenous rights in North America, it's a broader question, right? Jews who are mobilizing around LGBTQ rights, right? Like it's not just about Israel. Israel's indicative of a certain framework, but I think that there's a broader community that's not feeling represented in the institutional community and as a result in a lot of the media entities.
3: You know, this is an interesting angle. I hear about this a lot, but what we're not talking about is that this isn't a left-exclusive issue. There are lots of young, disaffected Jews on the right who are saying virtually the exact same thing that I'm hearing from from the Trafe guys. They're saying the institutional Jewish community, in somewhat waffling on Israel, among other things, is ignoring our concerns ignoring our beliefs and they're also starting their own grassroots campaign uh sam we've talked about this before also Mm -hmm. i don't think this is just a left issue alone there is a far right uh, movement in jewish circles that is growing and that has very much the same complaints so i often hear that from the left people from the left saying we're not the CJN isn't doing enough to accommodate those voices. And one of the responses, and I've said it to you guys too, is, yeah, I hear the same thing from the right. And if you want me to start accommodating you, I'm going to have to start accommodating them too. And I guarantee you won't like what you hear coming from them. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I feel like in terms of the angle of the paper, I, th- I feel like it's slightly disingenuous
0: because while independent Jewish voices and their perspectives or, or the perspectives that we have are not welcome within the paper Groups like the Jewish Defense League are often profiled in ways that are very favorable. And I mean, if you're talking about the Jewish but, community writ large, I think the far right have actually won the day of determining the politics of that of the community. If, if you look at the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, currently the top of the top-down structure of the organized Jewish community in Canada, and compare that to the Canadian Jewish Congress that was there 10 years ago, it's a huge shift right. And just recently, they came out formally condemning M-103, the pretty toothless bill condemning Islamophobia. And I feel like that's representative of the rightward direction that the institutional Jewish community has taken. And I feel like there's nothing but support for the far right whose politics they've adopted.
2: I'm going to jump in here to to try to orient this for our listeners. Like, we're really talking about the CJN and what it will print and what it won't print. And, you, you know, you alluded to this earlier, Yoni, that you've got... A distinct point of view, and you've got the territory. The, the paper has a position, as I understand it. You won't run things that are anti-Zionist, right? Okay, so what does that mean? Because you know, some people use Zionism as a as just another way of saying Jew, and other people, obviously, people have very different interpretations of this. Specific examples: Would you run a piece that asserts that Israel is an apartheid state?
3: No. A piece that blanketly stated that Israel is an apartheid state, fait accompli? No, I wouldn't.
2: Would you run a piece stating that the only existential threat to Israel is the occupation itself? Probably not. Okay. That first piece, that Israel is an apartheid state, was the closing monologue of Asaf Harel, who is a... mainstream television in Israel doing like a John Stewart thing, mm-hmm. he gave a monologue about how we have to wake up and appreciate that, yes, of course, this is true. The opinion that occupation is Israel's only existential threat, that I read in Haaretz, that was from the former Mossad chief, Tamir Pardo. So why is it possible in the Israeli media to represent those views and have it not and I'm, I'm not trying to put you I'm putting you on the spot but but I, I know that for you to do that would be incredibly alienating to the people who I don't know who's the funding the, the readership that would orient the paper in a radical category but but the classification seems to be very different in Israel and it seems like that is a place that can sustain that level of disparity of views within their mainstream discourse
3: totally so okay a, a couple answers first I think we're talking about two different things. The Israeli press talks about what's happening in Israel. Jewish press around the world talks about what Israel means to the Jewish people. Those can be different things. That, in the first case, I think is a significant distinction. We're also in the business not only of providing news, but we're also in the business of building community. And when it comes to that, you sort of have to understand what your community is looking for. And like I said, you're not going to be able to please everybody. But if that's one of the things you're aiming to do, you got to understand your community. I think I think to go a, a little easier on Yoni, I, I feel like again, I don't
0: think the paper needs to represent all of these perspectives. Like no paper can encapsulate everyone's perspective within the Jewish community. It's impossible. I think what to me, like my problem with the approach is the claim that it does represent the Jewish community. What it essentially is doing is perpetuating this idea that the Jewish community in Canada is the Canadian Jewish news readership. You know, it skews older, it skews uh, more wealthy, um, it skews to the right and Zionist. And I just don't think that that represents all Jewish people in Canada. And I think there's actually sizable portions of the community that are excluded from that. And and I think those are people who have been supportive of of our show. And I think they'd be supportive of more media efforts like also Yoni would too. I, I think we all wanna see more media diversity in the Jewish community.
2: Guys, I want to be perfectly honest about something. I mean, what really inspired this episode was this recent incident where we were covering the rebel and Ezra Levant and a lot of disgusting content that I think was explicitly anti-Semitic that was coming out of that organization. And his response was to attack me as a Jew. What shocked me about that and what got me thinking about this larger question is that that line of argument and attack of saying, you're not Christian enough in your personal life. You're not religious enough. You don't get to be one of us or consider yourselves. You've betrayed us. It's so aberrant and hostile that it made me think of who is left, who is willing to stand up and say, I am Jewish. I represent Jews. Increasingly, it's people like Ezra Levant. The discourse has been abandoned by pretty much everybody in the middle. I think there's still people on the far left. And then you've got your Ezra Levant's and they are becoming the mainstream acceptable voice to the point where he feels that he's the arbiter of who actually is a Jew and who isn't a Jew. And that made me feel like this kind of coy game where I don't explicitly talk about myself as a Jew in the media has to end. And I wanna just open this up for conversation.
0: I don't think that this is just a divide between the left and the right of the Jewish community. And I don't think it's just about Zionism. Um, We were actually talking with someone on the show a few weeks ago and she described a three-way conversation that her grandfather uh, would always observe in Ukraine where you'd have on one side the Orthodox saying that the only way to fight anti-Semitism is to pray to God and it's in God's hands, and if we're good, anti-Semitism will go away. And then you had the Zionist who said the way to confront anti-Semitism is through Zionism, through national boundaries and territory and national identity. And then you had the communists and the anarchists and the socialists who said that the way to confront anti-Semitism was in alliance with other oppressed people and to, to defeat it where they live. And I feel like this three-way conversation has been transplanted to the United States and Canada. And, and, and I feel like depending on where you are in that three-way conversation, you're going to have a totally different take on what's happening right now, on what it means to be Jewish, on what it means to confront anti-Jewishness. And I think that's part of what's informing this disagreement. I think this is an incredibly confusing
2: time to understand what's what. There is the return of anti-Semitic imagery, classic Nazi imagery into mainstream discourse. We're seeing through the rise of the alt-right and and Trump an incredible resurgence of things that I thought were culturally and ideologically and like just off the table that we had we had prohibited from the discourse. But that is very confused because you have in Trump, as many of my older relatives will tell me, well, he's a Zadie. His daughter's married to a Jew. She converted. His grandkids are Jewish. And what, where has he actually said anything anti-Semitic? We don't know what's what anymore. We, we wrote rules for a while about you're not allowed to say certain things. They're clearly uh, of a tradition of anti-Semitism. So whether that president is, is some sort of an anti-Semitic figure or the movement that put him there, there's confusion there. I feel like there's great confusion and weird commonalities between the traditional thing of, oh, you're, you're, you're anti-Semitic, but you're shrouding it in a critique of Zionism. But it's actually just—and then you actually have Jews who are going to suggest that to be anti Zionists is, is anti-Semitic, and those things are the same thing. Where things begin and end and what any of this means anymore, I think, has become— so cloudy and convoluted it's such a hall of mirrors that most people just turn away you know in in confusion and sometimes in disgust to the whole question how to forge a sense of internal identity. While we're talking about this this other question, we're here today to talk about Jewish representation and who we are in the media that we make and who we are in the media that we contribute to. I feel like it's very hard to know where we stand anymore and what we want to tell the world.
3: I think the problem goes back to something you said at the beginning off the top the joke about two Jews, three opinions, right? Now, the joke isn't two Jews, three opinions, and they fucking hate each other because they have different opinions. The point of the joke was always Jews have lots of different opinions and somehow they still manage to get along with each other even through all these differences of opinions. That's definitely changed now. You've got you've got real divisions in the community. If you if you believe in left ideals, you don't talk to people on the right. Uh, and if you believe in the right, you don't you don't talk to people on the left. So that's the issue. The issue isn't that there are people having differences of opinion, serious differences of opinion because that's That's, you know, ages old in the Jewish community and not really specific to the Jewish community either. The problem is that people don't seem to be able to talk about these things anymore. And look, I think we try at the CJN to do some of that community building and getting people to talk about things, especially when they're uncomfortable topics. And I take a lot of flack for that, but I don't really see it happening elsewhere. And, you know, we talked about groups like Independent Jewish Voices, in a way, I'm glad that a group like that exists in the sense that there should be some gathering ground for people who believe in anti-Zionism or believe in other forms of discussing Zionism. I'm glad that group exists, uh, the same way that I'm glad that the Trafe podcast exists. But I don't really see any movement from these groups on the left or on the right to try and build any sort of consensus or community with the middle. Guys in Montreal, do you agree that this is about... Jews on the left not agreeing and
2: not talking enough to Jews on the right, or I'm going to suggest, do people who identify as Jewish leftists or Jewish conservatives occupy a minority of Jews and most people just don't show up to the conversation at all?
0: I I think I have a problem with the sort of equivalency left-right debate framing, because I think the majority of the Jewish institutional world is framed around right-wing politics at the moment. And yeah, I don't think it speaks to the majority of Jews. I think the majority, uh, far be it for me to speak to the, for the majority of Jews in Canada. I don't know what the average Jew's political opinion is, but I do know that if you have leftist political opinions, there's no space for you in the institutional Jewish world and, and there's no space for you if, you're, if you have anti-Zionist or anti-colonial Jewish perspectives in, in the Canadian Jewish news. And I think in terms of what's informing that divide I think it has to do with an understanding of what Jewish interests are. Getting back to your question, after Donald Trump got elected, the Jewish federations of uh, Canada and the United States had a joint conference call that you could call in and you can hear what their analysis was about the election, because a lot of people were very scared. And I I called in and I listened to it. And for the entire thing, it was about an hour. They used the term anti-Semitism once to sort of harangue campus leftists for not confronting anti-Zionism but didn't mention anything about fears about the rise of the far right. They talked about, oh, well, Trump has talked about oil pipeline expansion. That's good for, you know, Canadian oil. Trump has talked about approaching a new trade agreement. That's probably bad for our interests here. And it occurred to me that the the leadership of the federations and CJA see their interests so inherently tied to the interests of the economic elite in Canada, whereas us as Jewish leftists see our interests as the opposite. We, we see our interests completely connected to the people fighting uh, against oppression and against uh, the regime and and the interests of people like Donald Trump.
2: Do you you feel that you're creating your own disincentive? I mean, like even to throw around like anti-Zionist, maybe you could kind of define
1: what that means to you. (laughs) Well, I mean, we try to talk on the show. I mean, we ultimately try to not be too heavy handed about it, but it's our politics are informed by an anti-colonial perspective and, and support for struggles of decolonization and whether they're happening in North America or whether they're happening in Palestine, there are, my, my politics are informed by that worldview. And I think it's just not a stretch to believe that there shouldn't be an ethnocratic state in Israel and there should be massive changes to the way society is structured in Canada and the U S and that doesn't seem to be such a
0: difficult thing to bridge with my Jewish identity. Yeah, and I mean, uh, something that we talk a lot about on the show is how we uh, we feel that we're inheriting a very rich Jewish tradition of anti-Zionism. We look to groups like the Bund or papers like the Fire Arbiter that this has been a political perspective that's been around in the Jewish community long before Zionism existed, but uh, alongside it as an alternative political perspective. And we're trying to keep that alive.
1: For People for history buffs, listening to the old show, the Friar Arbiter Steime*, which was a Yiddish anarchist paper published in New York City, had a readership of 100,000 people in 1912 or 1913. We are coming from a robust tradition of of leftist Jewish politics.
2: Maybe I wanna have my cake in it too, but I wonder like, can I have a really harsh critique of the Israeli occupation? Can I have a harsh critique of the settlements and still consider myself a Zionist. Can I Can I, Can I? I conceive of a Zionism as just belief that there should be Israel and that it should be a safe place for Jewish people? I feel like the disincentive and why I spend most of my time as a Jew in the media, staying as far away from this stuff as I possibly can, mm-hmm. is that I don't want to jump into either camp. I, I don't want to be associated with the institutional organized hawkish, increasingly hawkish Israel, no matter what, uh, whatever, whatever government is saying, whatever new thing uh, and however far they're pushing it, that's what it means to support Israel, to support the Israeli government. I don't want to be associated with that, nor do I feel like standing with somebody who's going to call themselves an anti-Zionist. So I feel like there's just, there's, there's no choice left for me, but to uh, like, I I feel like I'm in the wilderness and I don't feel like I'm alone.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, based on what you're expressing, I think it's actually something that a lot of people, a lot of liberal Jews in Canada and the United States are going through right now of being forced to choose between options that seem very confusing to them. But based on what you're describing, it sounds like your position is a liberal Zionist position of being against the occupation, but wanting a, a state that's more democratic than it is today. You know,
2: it, it feels like there is a playfulness in the culture right now to push buttons hard. And a lot of it is that, you know... Uh, the history of like anti-defamation leagues and the Jewish response to anti-Semitism has been to give no quarter and to respond very forcefully to any uh, anti-Semitism or perceived anti-Semitism. And that is is now being challenged in ways. And people are playing with conceptions of anti-Semitism and playing this am I or aren't I little game about these signals. And meanwhile, I think you've got a public that is increasingly intolerant of the idea of Jews as victims and is increasingly questioning uh, whether or not that card is overplayed by institutional Judaism. Is this fueled by like a growing acceptable anti-Semitism in the culture or is there like a legitimacy to to pushing back against some of the the boundaries that have been set?
3: I think it's both. I mean, look, you've got you've got anti-Semitism and it is growing. You look at the Toronto Police's annual study of hate crimes, which they released last year last week, sorry, for 2016. Jews, again, at the top of the list of groups that are victims of hate crimes. The Hamilton police are going to release a, a report next week. It'll say the exact same thing.
2: I think in New York, it's up 200%. Yeah,
3: it's there. It's definitely there. It's confusing
2: there, too. Today, they just arrested the guy who... Uh, the, my local Jewish community center, there was a bomb threat. It turns out
3: it was a Jewish guy. An Israeli-American, yeah. Uh-huh.
2: It, it's very hard for people to figure out what the hell is going on.
3: Totally. But then you also have this playfulness. You have... Play, we're we're using playfulness in, in sort of a different way. It's not this isn't really play, this is serious shit. But No, I know what you mean. But I understand. Okay, so you know, and you've got people like Gavin McInnes and and Ezra, you can I think you can lump him in there uh, because he's his boss. And they are certainly playing with it, and they're playing clearly to people who may harbor anti-Semitic thoughts. But I don't think they themselves are being anti-Semitic. And I'll add, and I feel like I keep doing this when we're talking, that there are people on the left who are doing the same thing. There are leftist Jewish comic artists who, you know, is constantly putting out new uh, images that riff on the Holocaust and and how the prime minister of Israel, uh, you know, is possibly building a new Holocaust and plays with the imagery of the Nazis and the imagery of Zionism together. And you see the same sort of debates. Is that anti-Semitic? Is it not anti-Semitic? And, you know, I'd say it's art. There's more leeway there. But again, you know, people playing with it is not necessarily a problem so long as it stops at play. I think I think I su- I resent the suggestion
0: that Jewish, and I can't speak to the example, I'm not sure like what you're describing, but I think what, what I am familiar with is Jewish anti-Zionists uh, like the two of us who in speaking about our opinions and talking about Jewish futures that don't involve an ethnocratic state are attacked as anti-Semites and told that we're not authentically Jewish. Like I'm, like I'm sure we're all familiar with this trope. And this has seemed has has become a big part of the activity of groups like the Anti-Defamation League and other groups historically have focused more on anti-Semitism. And to see that happening with such vigor, while the right is going after Jewish people in conjunction with their attacks on immigrants and and people of color and Muslims. And when they see that, they shrug it off and they say it's a joke or or the Zionist Organization of America invites them to dinner or Ezra Levant publishes them. I just I don't think it's an equivalency.
2: Where are we going here? Like, Yoni, your readership, uh, as you stated, they're not going to be here for very long on this planet with us. That is going to have to redefine itself or, or cease to exist. David and Sam, you're you're trying to forge something new f- from TRAFE. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that y- your political orientation is not widely inclusive. People, I think, would have to agree with you on, on some f- fairly contentious things to orient themselves with, uh, with with your outlook. There are other projects out there. But I wonder, even 10 years from now, what is going to be left of anything that actually identifies itself as a Jewish voice in the media? That's
1: a very good question.
3: All right, I'll go first. Is Yoni? Uh, will there be a Cjn print edition in ten years from now? I don't know. I think the jury's still kind of out on that. But I think you'll ha- you'll see a strong presence. We've been building our online presence in the last two years, and I talked about the number. I talked to earlier about our our uh, visibility online growing significantly. Uh, yeah, we're talking to a different sort of reader online. I think we're orienting more to the idea that we can we can address the concerns of baby boomer and up Jews in the print edition and talk in a slightly different tone online. Conceivably, you could see that the sort of the sort of approach we were taking uh, on our website and on Facebook and social media, you could see that sort of becoming the major tone of the CJN as a voice for Jewish people. But I think we can keep going for a long time, whether it's in print or not. Trafe?
1: I mean, I don't think we can speak to 10 years from now as a podcast. Listen, I think like I hate to sound like this but a lot of news Jewish news that I get comes from Twitter and comes from Facebook, right? Like there's Facebook groups where I get way more news or like where the news is more meaningful and the the analysis is better. I mean with all due respect with with any publication that I'm reading on a weekly basis, you know? So I don't know like it's going to be one of these answers where it's probably malleable and things are going to shift and and hopefully voices that stray outside of the acceptable realm become raised and have better platforms.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, like Jesse, you talk a lot of, on the show about uh, The Rebel and how they have about, I think, almost 300,000 subscribers now. And the shift to the right uh, in media is happening in the Jewish community, too. And, you know, 100 years ago, we were talking about that there were all this leftist media. It was, it was so robust. And we don't want to replace what exists right now. We want to act as a counterbalance against it. If we have very right-wing voices in in the media and it's taken over the political spectrum, what we're hoping in 10 years is we see a much more balanced spectrum.
2: To give Ezra his due, I think he claims half a million YouTube subscribers, less the 3,000 who he says left because they are neo-Nazis, anti-Semites, and uh, racists.
0: He doesn't want those people.
2: No, they they don't want him. They left uh, after he published pro-Israel
0: material. Interesting.
2: David and Sam, hosts of the TRAFE podcast, podcast everybody should check out. Thank you guys very much for joining us from Montreal. Uh, thanks. thanks so
1: much for
0: having us. Thanks, Jesse.
2: Yoni, editor-in-chief of the Canadian Jewish News, thank you for joining me here in our studio. Yeah, my pleasure. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. I can be emailed at jesse at I read what you send me and I respond when I can. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com where you can read more about the Jewish press in Canada. We just posted that article. Our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I will be off on Thursday and Monday. I'm taking a week to actually write this stage show that I'll be touring across Canada because tickets are selling quickly and I'm having a holy shit, I better get my act together, like literally get my act together moment. So that's my week next week. I'll be back after that. If you want to buy tickets, go to CanadaLandShow.com slash I make this show with Russell Gregg. He handles syndication to campus and community radio stations across this country. If you like what we do, please support us.